0: So, it's been, it's been a while since we studied the book of John, and we've had a couple different topical things. But the last time we were in John chapter 2 and the beginning of John chapter 3, and one of the points I brought out was the importance of the these and the thous in your Bible that everybody hates, and the ye's and the yous. When he says to Nicodemus, marvel not that I say unto thee, you one guy, ye, all of Israel, must be born again. Um, we talked about that, but last time we mainly dealt with that concept of being born again. What is it? What does it mean? From the Bible. And I hope I demonstrated that our, our definition that most Americans have in their mind of what born again means has nothing to do with what the Bible would define it as. We saw the born again people in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 saying, Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. That ain't me. That ain't you. That ain't you. It's definitely not you. None of us does not commit sin. We all commit sins each day. So, why are people going around saying, I'm born again? I heard it this week where a guy says, you're born again. That means you're a new creature. No, it doesn't. If an old creature is born again the old creature is born again. If you're a new creature, you're something new that hasn't existed before. And that's what happens when people try to meld Paul with Jesus' teachings in his earthly ministry. Um, but and we talked about it, finished up at the end, how is it possible? All of us who in this world that's run by the devil, we've all managed to hopefully trust the gospel. We've managed to believe what Christ did for us and Trust what He did for us, and we're saved, and we're trying to serve God, but we fail every day. Most of the time, before breakfast is over, we're failures. So how is it possible for anybody in the world to walk around not committing sins? Because we can't do it. Well, that's when we talked about the prophecies in Ezekiel, where God would put that new spirit within them and that new heart, and all of a sudden, I can keep the law now. These these people of Israel, they can keep the law, and we think of the law as ten commandments. 613 points of law and none of us can quote the Ten Commandments and these people are just doing it. That's what was going to happen and what will happen again uh, with New Testament Israel. Ezekiel 36 says, uh, I will take the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And that's where people get caught up with, well, you know, the Old Testament, that was the the, the mean God and the nasty God and, you know, the fire and brimstone guy, but then Jesus came and the whole law was over and, and that's all said and done. No, Jesus came to fulfill. So when he came to Israel and said, you know, I am your Messiah, I am here to fulfill all these promises, he's going to enable them to keep the promise they made. Back in Exodus 19, God gives them the law and they say, yep, we'll do that. They never did. They never did one day. And that's what Jesus is going to do for them. But we talked about, and I, I'm going to say it over and over and over and over and over again, when you're reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, understand on the timeline, Hebrews what was the verse? Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9, 15 through 17, I think. On this side of the cross, it has to be Old Testament. You cannot have a New Testament without the death of the testator. So, even though when you come to John, everybody's like, Oh, this is the new stuff. This is for me. No, this is still Old Testament. And Jesus is most definitely not talking to you. And I know that because I can read. Jesus himself says, I'm not talking to you. So, I ask you tonight, we're, we're entering one of the most some of the most familiar verses that most everybody knows and most everybody reads, and I'm going to teach it way differently than anybody's ever heard. So I ask you to be patient with me and understand that I'm not just trying to be different, but I've actually studied these things and looked at them, and I came to these conclusions on my own. But um, when I talk about, this is Old Testament, most people will read the book of John, and they will let Paul out here, and with Paul we get the manifold wisdom of God. We find out about God's program for heavenly places which nobody ever knew about. Nobody ever knew anything about a new creature that was going to go to heaven one day when they died. But what we do when we read John is we read Paul back into this. And say, "Well, everybody here knew the same thing that we know." No, they absolutely did not. It was yet and still a mystery. Paul was the first man that ever heard anything about any of this stuff. So when we read John, don't read Paul back into it because it's not there. So with that, you know, a good example I can come up with is, you know those mystery movies where you follow the movie for an hour and 45 minutes and you think you know who the bad guy is and you think you know who done it and all of a sudden at the end there's a plot twist that turns everything up on its head? You ever watch a movie like that? That's what reading Paul back into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is. It's reading the plot twist back into the part where nobody knew what was going on. Nobody had heard about this mystery. That's why God called it a mystery. Go figure. <laughs> yes? Mm-hmm. The mansions. They were looking, it was like we talked about last week or few weeks ago, that city coming down, that new Jerusalem, that's what he's talking about. And that's when they prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth. They were all, nobody in the Bible ever even thought about dying and going up to heaven. It was always, always on the earth, in the earthly kingdom. And you think of the disciples when they, Christ is getting ready to ascend and and they're saying, are you going to bring the kingdom now? They had no no compunction about, it. I'm going to die and go to heaven one day. It was all about that king that's all the way promised all the way back in Abraham. You know, I'm going to bring you that kingdom and the earth is going to be blessed through you. So it was all about the earth. He yeah, oh yeah. yeah, I absolutely did because the mystery was a mystery. I mean, um, if you chart out, and that's what those charts, I don't know if any of you still have them I gave out a long time ago. When you look at the progression, it's earth, earth, kingdom, 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 kingdom. Then they're like at the apex, like, here it is, this is the end. And that's why Peter stands up at Pentecost and says, you know, the tribulation's starting. What Joel wrote about, it's here now. So they had no idea that there was going to be this interruption, that there was going to be this mystery revealed. They didn't know any of that. And that's that's what what you're reading. If you kind of put your head in that mindset when you read John, it... All of a sudden it starts to make sense And these things that Jesus says And you're like I heard a preacher tell a nice story about that one time But I still don't kind of get it All of a sudden you'll start to get it And you'll understand why Jesus is saying these things And and what for Because it's all about the earth It's all about that earthly kingdom And Israel is God's nation on the earth Exodus 4.22 Israel is my firstborn son So Where are we Does that answer? Okay Um, we left off in John 3 with uh, Jesus basically insulting Nicodemus. And uh, he says, how did you get to be in charge of Israel if you can't figure this stuff out? If I can do the Steve Yoke version paraphrase. (laughs) How are you in charge if you don't know these things, Nicodemus, Pharisee of Israel? But what's going to happen here is Jesus... You know, I talked a few weeks ago about how Christians don't believe Jesus anymore. Most Christians believe Christians. Let me do the heavy air quotes. They don't believe Jesus was the Son of God. They don't believe he lived a sinless life. They don't. Yeah, he, he wasn't God. All those kinds of things. People don't believe about it. But he was a great teacher, and he was a great philosopher. I mean, you think of Thomas Jefferson, who did his own Bible, where he literally cut and pasted his Bible together. He took out all the miracles. He took out everything about Jesus being God. And he just kept the philosophies of Jesus. That's one of our founding fathers. But when you read, because he was such a great teacher. But when you come to Jesus and you actually read some of the things he's going to say tonight as we read it. You've got two options. You can't say he was a great philosopher and he was a great teacher. But I don't believe his miracles and I don't believe he was the son of God. You have... Two choices. Complete nut job. Jesus, the narcissistic narcissistic psychopath. Lunatic. That's one choice. Or, he was exactly who he said he was. The Son of God. God the Son and the Son of God. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground between psychopath and son of God, nutburger and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no middle ground. When you come to Jesus and what he says, you have to choose one or the other. Period. When you read the things that he says and claims to be, if somebody walked up to you on the street and said some of the things that Jesus is about to say, you go, Cuckoo, you're a nut. The psych word is well we don't have any psych words anymore. Uh, the police station is <laughs> that's what you'd say. But Jesus said it, so we have to choose was he right or is he a nut job? So let's start in John three eleven. He's still talking to Nicodemus at night, the first episode of Nick at Night. Yuck yuck. Uh John three eleven. Verily, verily I say unto thee. We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen. In the whole conversation, he's talking about God's kingdom here. So he's saying, I have seen God's kingdom. Whoa. Hi, man on the street. He's claimed to have been up there. How much more impressive is that, knowing that everybody was, like what we said, is looking to the earth and earthly things. He's saying, I've seen God's kingdom. Okay. And he looked at him, he says, you don't believe me. Ye receive not our witness. If I have told you of earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Back to the kingdom come thing. Verse 13, and no man hath ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven. He's claiming, I came down from heaven. I thought you were that kid of Mary and Joe that, you know, they kind of keep under the rug and... Something weird. No, he said, I came down from heaven. That's a pretty bold claim. I mean, you think of modern nuts like that David Koresh guy that, you know, got Janet Reno, burn them all up in Texas. And, you know, the, the different cult leaders that say they're Jesus. And this guy, Jesus Christ, is saying, I came down from heaven. I thought you came from Bethlehem. <laughs> I thought you came... No, he's saying, I came down from heaven. This is some bold stuff he's saying. And he's not talking to the average man on the street. He's talking to a Pharisee. This is the leader of Israel, one of the rulers. But look what he says next. It gets even crazier. Even the Son of Man, which is a title he gives himself, which is in heaven. He's saying, I came down from heaven, and I'm still in heaven. He's claiming to be omnipresent. That's only an attribute God has. God is the only being who can be everywhere at the same time. He's saying, I came down from heaven, and I'm in heaven. That's pretty bold. (laughs) Is he a nut? Or is he who he said he was? And look what he says next, verse 14. And this is where people make the mistake of reading Paul back into John. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So he's prophesying something. We'll get to Moses here in a minute. But like I said, you can see there's pretty good evidence that Nicodemus was not on board at this time because he's saying, I'm telling you these earthly things and you don't believe me. So to call Nicodemus a disciple and somebody who believed that he was the Messiah at the time, no, he's saying you don't believe him. Now we said a few weeks ago, You do see Nicodemus show up at the cross to help bury him and all, so maybe he decided to believe. But he's a wonderful prophet and teacher, but he's not the Christ and he's not the Son of God. How can a wonderful teacher claim that, Hi, I'm omnipresent. Hi, I came down from heaven. Hi, I'm the Son. You can't be a wonderful teacher and a great man and be that crazy. You can't. You have to either be who you said you are or a nut. I mean, that's pretty simple. That's pretty. We would call anyone who claimed that I'm omnipresent, I'm in Cleveland, yet I'm here now. You're a nut. You're crazy. I don't care how well you can give a speech. You're nuts. That's what we have to do when we come to Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. Not necessarily the Jesus that's portrayed in our culture these days, but the Jesus of God's Word here. You have to make some decisions on. But he says there, that verse twelve is interesting, or verse thirteen rather. He says, No man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. He not only is he claiming to be omnipresent, come down from heaven, but he's saying, Remember that prophecy that David wrote about, or or Solomon wrote about, rather? Remember the, the great King Solomon and he made that prophecy? I'm the fulfillment of that. That's what he's saying. He's quoting Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30 Psalm. He's saying, I am the fulfillment of a prophecy of one of Israel's greatest kings. That's some that's some pretty tall whatever, tall corn, tall cotton. That's a pretty What would you say to somebody who walked in the room tonight? I am a fulfillment of Proverbs 30. Okay. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. He's quoting Proverbs 30. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? That's the question. Who went up to heaven or who came down? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Jesus is claiming, I'm the fulfillment of that. I have power over the wind. With all our modern technology, with all the great things we have, we cannot stop tornadoes. And this guy's saying, I have the power to gather the wind in my fists. Christ is saying that. Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established the end of the earth? He's claiming to be the creator. So not only am I omnipresent, not only did I come down from heaven, I have power over the wind. Oh, did Jesus ever demonstrate that? Yes, he did. Peace be still. The storm stops. He's claiming to be God, the creator, power over his creation. What is his name? Solomon asks. And what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? So he's prophesying, I am god the son not only the son of god i am god the son i have that power so G- here's jesus the the pharisee comes to talk to him you know you're doing these miracles we can't really deny the miracles what's going on i'm god if you could just sum it up in a nutshell i'm the son of god and god the son i fulfilled solomon's words once again that job where is he right I know who I have believed and am persuaded, but everybody's got to make up their own mind. That Proverbs 30, real quick, I wouldn't be doing a good lesson if I didn't beat up on hippie Bibles for a minute. (laughs) But Proverbs 30 is very interesting where he talks about God. The verse is basically talking about God having a son. What is the son of God? Now, in Daniel, of all places, you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they get thrown into the fire. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes up to... If I can find Daniel. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get bound up, thrown into the fire. Nebuchadnezzar comes in. He says, "Um, guys, didn't we throw three into the fire? You know, you think somebody lost count. You know, maybe an extra slave got tossed in by accident. You know, who do I need to apologize to? Um, they're like, yeah, yeah, we, we threw three of them in there. Yep. And Nebuchadnezzar says, um, how come I'm seeing four? And they're all walking around. And in the King James Bible, which is the only Bible, to my knowledge, that you'll find it in, there may be one other, so apologies to whatever publishing company did the one other. But in Daniel 3.25, he says, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So he's saying, I'm seeing four guys, they're walking around, and one of them looks like the Son of God. Now, the new Bibles, they take out the Son of God, and they change it to a son of the gods. Why do they do that? Well, because your Bible publisher, being much smarter than all of you little people, they understand from their lofty perch and their marble towers that Nebuchadnezzar is a pagan king. And there is no way he would ever know anything about the Son of God. So this is obviously a mistranslation by those well-meaning King James translators. Nebuchadnezzar never could have known about the Son of God. Let's fix it and make it a son of the gods. Now, that doesn't even make sense when you read it. Look at what he says. He says, the fourth is like the Son of God, and then he comes and he calls the three guys, and he says, ye servants of the Most High God. Does that make any sense that somebody would say, that looks like a son of Zeus. Come out, ye servants of the one most high God. It, It doesn't even make sense when you're reading it. But back to that verse in Proverbs we just read. Nebuchadnezzar, yeah, he's a pagan king. He's the king of Babylon. His top advisor is Daniel. Okay? Daniel, come from Israel. Daniel, who would have all the writings of The Old Testament and the prophets and all that. He'd have all that with him. And he would also have the writings of one of the greatest kings to ever live on the planet, Solomon. He would have access to Proverbs. That's how Nebuchadnezzar would know about God having a son. Because Nebuchadnezzar could have been shown, Proverbs 30, verse 4, by Daniel. So it's not a problem. But I digress. This is the problems you run into when... People stray away from the word of God. But it's, it's so interesting in Proverbs 30. You know, I just demonstrated how the new Bibles, they'll fix it for you people. They'll fix the mistakes and be too smart by half. But in Proverbs 30, um, verse 5, we just read verse 4. Look at verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee. <laughs> and thou be found a liar. So, the very people that are trying to fix God's words, by adding to God's words, God says in the verse that proves them wrong, if you add to it, you're going to be found a liar, which I just think is very ironic and clever. So, that's your your uh, textual criticism for the evening. I'll move on. But, as we move on in John 3, you know, I, mix, I draw my charts, my bad charts with my bad drawings, and I... I show that nobody could have known about this mystery and Christ paying for their sins and being a substitutionary atonement, and we get his righteousness put on us by how he died. I say these kinds of things, and people who hate my teaching, hate what I believe, and oppose me come to John 3 here, and they find comfort in opposing me because they do exactly what I told you not to do and read back Paul into John. So, in verse 14. Christ says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. See? He's telling him I'm going to die on a cross. Right there, Steve. What's wrong with you, Steve? It's right there. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. See, Steve? Believe that he's going to die on a cross and you're going to have eternal life. Get off this mystery of Christ stuff. Burn the book of Romans. Burn the book of Ephesians. You don't need it. That's... They're reading back Paul into this. And they shouldn't. Nobody was looking forward to the cross. Not even his closest guys, guys he's walking around with, eating with, doing miracles with. They had no idea. They, after he's dead, and the woman comes up and tells them, the tomb's empty. Somebody's taken the Lord. They believed the women. They didn't believe that he'd risen from the dead. They believed somebody stole the body. They weren't, even after all that, they weren't looking for it. It was yet and still a mystery. But Christ gives us a statement. And start turning back to Numbers. Keep your hand in the book of John. He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So that gives me, if I'm going to be a student and I'm going to study and figure this stuff out and be a workman that studies on his own, I can go back and find where this Moses is lifting up this snake and what was going on there. But Christ is comparing, he's saying, just as Moses lifted up a snake into the sky, how do you get from that, I'm going to die on a cross, a Roman cross, in a few years, and pay for all your sins, and if you trust what I did for you, then you get to go to heaven, which nobody's ever heard about dying and going to heaven. How do you get that from that verse? You get that because you wanted to get it. You wanted to bring it. But you don't get it from that. Let's look at Numbers. We see what's going on here in chapter 21. 21. I'll start in verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Eden. So they're on the move. Israel's on the move. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. So it's a hard road, and the people have got a case of the grubs, and they're feeling bad. And the people, you know, what do you do when you're having a bad day? Yell at God. (laughs) And the people spake against God and against Moses Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? These are the people who had the Red Sea parted for them. Now they're crying again. For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. All this wonderful food that you're raining out of heaven miraculously every day for us, Lord, we're sick of it. Don't think we'd be any better. Don't ever think we'd be any better. (laughs) Okay? There's nothing new under the sun. So, God says, wow, you know, hmm. I'm hearing your complaints here. I think we're going to have to call a meeting of the Godhead. No, he doesn't say that. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. These people are under a covenant. If they do not obey and do well under the covenant, they get judgment. So here comes fiery serpents. And they bit the people, and much of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned! Now they're sorry. We've spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said unto Moses, This is so odd. Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looks upon it, shall live. That's where you get the old hymn in your hymnal, look and live. Look and live, my brother, live. That's where you get that. So Moses makes a ser- so he makes a snake out of metal, a serpent of brass, and he puts it on a pole, and if the serpent had bitten any man, if he looked, beheld upon the serpent of brass, he lived. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus, remember how the people were all complaining against God and the God sent judgment on them and they were getting bit and they had to look at this brass snake on a pole and if they did, they get to live? Son of man's going to do the same thing. How do you get, I'm going to die on a Roman cross and pay for all your sins from that? You can't. You're reading it back into it, okay? If I could just make a couple observations, the brass serpent, the brass serpent did not bleed out and die on the cross because it was brass and it didn't have any blood. Furthermore, the brass serpent was not alive, was killed and then resurrected with victory over death, hell and the grave forevermore. It was a piece of metal. Uh, (laughs) The brass serpent wasn't going around proclaiming that I am the Son of God and God the Son. It was a metal snake. And the brass serpent did not sacrifice itself for anybody's sins. It was not a sacrifice. A sacrifice is killed, bleeds out, and dies. And it's a sacrifice. All this was was look at this metal snake and you get to live from your snake bite. That's, we're talking about looking at a snake and living. How do you, and that's what Nicodemus is going to have numbers in his Bible. So he's going to know what Jesus is talking about. You don't get, I'm going to die on a cross for your sins from that. You're reading it back into it. What it was, was it was a remedy to avoid God's wrath and judgment. That's what the snake was. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to be a remedy for God's wrath and judgment. To avoid death. To avoid being condemned for their sins. And Jesus is getting ready to say, pretty soon, talk about condemnation and how you're already condemned. Oh boy, I better hurry. But Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, just as Old Testament Israel was judged for their covenant failure, and they had to look to something in order to live. Um, think about it. You know, I'm snake bitten. Isn't this is probably a bad spiritualization, but. When you think about the devil and the serpent deceiving Eve, and sin beginning, isn't the world we live in snake bitten? If you want to use that observation, but that's what he's saying. But it's the other thing too is he says, make a serpent of brass. These people are getting bit by snakes. Ah, I'm bit by a snake. Look to the snake and live. Wouldn't you? You know, look to the antidote. Look to the ointment. You know, look, look to the thing that's judging you. And live. Isn't that what Jesus was called by John the Baptist? When he says his his fan is in his hand and he's going to purge the floor and he's going to judge in wrath. Jesus is saying, you know, I'm the one that's going to bring judgment and wrath. Look to me and live. I think that works a lot better than reading a Roman cross into it. So, that's just me. Also, the people were not trusting brass to pay for their sins. They were trusting... Moses told me to look at that thing and I won't die from the snake bite. That's what they were looking at. But, um, and that's the whole, the whole issue on the table was this right here. This was, we want to talk about what did their faith have to be in? Israel had to believe this guy was not a nut job. This guy was the Messiah. This guy was the Son of God. That was the issue of faith on the table at the time. What is Jesus of Nazareth who he says he is? So, what a conversation we've already had here with Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus, hey, you seem like a great guy. You've got to be born again. Okay. Um, then he follows up with, well, you don't understand how the Spirit works. Uh, you don't believe me. You're ignorant. How come you don't know these things? I came down from heaven. I'm omnipresent. And you must believe in me if you're going to escape condemnation. Jesus doesn't waste any time, you know, bang, 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 right down the bullet points. So Jesus was a terrible politician. (laughs) But look at verse 17. We just talked about that condemnation that was come onto the world. So Nick looks around. He doesn't see any snakes biting him at the moment. He's scratching his head, wondering what this guy has to do with a brass snake on a pole. And then Jesus follows it up with verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why? Well, we talked about that analogy of the world had already been snake-bitten. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that looks to me shall live. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God The name Is Jesus of Nazareth the one Is he the promised one That's what those people were forced to choose they weren't, They're weren't. they not like us Where our object of faith is His work, what he did Jesus paid it all, trust him That was not their issue of faith They had to believe, nut job, son of God That was the issue on the table Believing in his name This guy, Jesus of Nazareth That guy walking around right there He's the one That's the one. I love using matrix analogies. He's the one, Neil. He is the one. You had to believe that Jesus Christ was the one. It's him. That's the guy. We don't need to look for anybody else. He's the one. Follow him. Jesus says, follow me. It's not, I'm just going to try to be nice like Jesus. It's, follow me. I'm heading over to Caesarea. (laughs) Let's go. That's what he was saying to these people. None of those guys were looking forward to the cross. The first time Jesus even says anything, and this isn't to crowds, this is, I got my guys right here. My guys. Peter, James, John. Hey guys, um, just want you to know I'm going to go to Jerusalem and um, I'm going to suffer a great deal and they're going to kill me. And the um, third day I'll rise from the dead. What's Peter say? I know! I've been looking forward to the cross since I was a little boy! Peter says... No way! Peter's rebuking him. No way! This isn't going to happen to you. Great Pope, trying to stop Calvary. The event that pays for my sins. Thanks, Pete. He didn't know. Everybody likes to beat up on Peter. I love Peter. That man was so zealous, so bullheaded. Once he, If he was wrong, he was wrong hardcore. And then when he got straightened out, he was right hardcore. You've know, you just got to love Peter. And he, he had so many dispensational changes happening in his life. People like to get mad at him for cussing around a campfire. But when you study this and you understand what's going on in Jesus' ministry and you know, him proclaiming the kingdom and proclaiming the king and then you know, the rejected king and then the suffering savior and hiding the fact that he was the son of God, I'd be sitting around a campfire cussing. <laughs> I mean, the guy told him, buy a sword. Then they come to take him away and he tries to use the sword. What did I buy it for? And then Jesus yells at me. What's going on? You'd be upset too, but then I'm getting off point. But Jesus makes all these, these statements. You know, I'm omnipresent. I've come down from heaven. You must be born again. You're a condemned Pharisee because you don't believe in me. What do you think the Pharisee would say? Who do you think you are, young man? I'm a Pharisee of Israel. You're some 33 year old pup. And you're saying, I'm condemned? You know, I'm a leader of Israel. No, Jesus is forcing him to make a choice. Is this guy who he says he is? I mean, he claims to have power over the wind, he claims to be God, he claims he is performing all these miracles and stuff, but Jesus is forcing them into a choice that this must be the Son of God. This must be God the Son, God manifest in the flesh, as first Timothy says. So Jesus makes all these statements and he explains further. You know, he's just told this guy. You're condemned if you don't believe in me. In verse 19, he says, This is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light. Why? They don't want to stop their evil, (laughs) because his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest there, that they are wrought in God. May I make an observation. Jesus is not preaching, I paid it all. Trust what I did for you. Not by works of righteousness which you have done, but according to my grace and mercy. Jesus is not preaching that. He's talking covenant performance to his covenant people. This is not the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of the grace of God is, you bring nothing than your big pile of nasty sins and your wickedness to the transaction. Lord, I trust what you did for me. Good. I'll impute your sin to my account. I'll impute my righteousness to your account. That's the gospel of the grace of God. It's nothing to do about you doing good and coming to the light, but that's what Jesus is preaching here to Israel. You do good, you come to the light. Um, The gospel that we trust in, the gospel that Christ gave to Paul... As the revelation of the mystery was that evil doers get to be justified. Not truth doers, which is what Christ is saying here. Evil doers, we who are yet and still his enemies, by wicked works in our mind, we may be reconciled by what Christ did for us. Romans 5, 6 says, For when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ isn't saying anything about that here in John. Saying, said, you do right, come to the light. And straighten up. He that doeth truth cometh to the light. That's opposite of verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Jesus is not preaching that at all. But the light that Jesus is talking about is God's son come into the world. And Jesus is telling Nick, I'm the guy. I'm the light. You don't believe in me, you're condemned. You don't believe the light because you're evil. You don't want your deeds to be reproved, Nick. So, once again, Christ, nut job, psycho, crazy narcissist with a God complex, or exactly who he says he was. That's the choice. And Jesus proved that he was exactly who he said he was by his resurrection. You know, you can walk around town, you can do miracles or alleged miracles, depending on. you can do all that, you can die as a martyr, but how do you prove? Was, was he the guy? Well, how about when the guy comes walking out of the tomb and says, Hi guys, I'm going to hang around for a month, a little over a month, then I'm going to ascend into heaven. That's how he proved it. And that's what, when Peter was preaching... He used the resurre- he wasn't preaching the resurrection of Now our sins can be paid for by his cross. Peter's saying, You wicked people who crucified look let me just read it here. Acts. Rather than the Steve Yoke paraphrase bad memory translation. <laughs> just read the words of God here, as he would have them or have us to read it. Acts four ten. And who once again who's Peter talking to, be it known unto all of you and to all the Baptists and the Methodists and the episcopal No. He's still preaching to Israel, the covenant people. And to all, be it known unto you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, preaching the name, whom ye crucified, ye, all y'all, you all did that. Yeah, that's where I got the power to do this. You all killed him whom God raised from the dead. Even by him does this man stand here before you whole. He's using it as proof that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. You killed him in the most violent, wicked way possible, and he's alive, and by his power, I'm doing this. Ha ha, God fooled you. <laughs> That's adi- God's word. I shouldn't do that. That's my attitude, isn't it? But that's, you know, you, you think about those verses where, um, well, just verse 11. He's talking about this Jesus Christ of Nazareth who all of you stood up and said, Hooray! Kill him! Die slowly! Yeah, by that guy, the stone which was set at naught by the bill. Set, you know, this, you didn't think he was worth anything. Throw him off, throw him to the Romans. Throw him to the pagans. Let the pagans kill him. Yeah, he's now the chief head of the corner. And there, neither is there salvation in any other. That was the guy that I was supposed to look to and live. And we killed him. What do we do now? That's what they asked in Acts 2. What do we do? They didn't ask, what do we do to be saved? <laughs> what do we do? I mean, <laughs> are we done for? That's the question on the tape. They rejected the one deal. Nobody's talking about the cross as payment for sins. All right. I'm doing good on time. Let's finish up. Use the word begotten Son of God. When you hear the word begotten, I bet the first thing in your mind is this. Begotten. Maybe some shepherds. Maybe some angels singing, right? When he's begotten, right? Begotten means he was born. Begotten means he was begotten in Bethlehem. That's where he was born. Not so much. Um, One more bang at the Hippie Bibles before we move on. The Hippie Bibles change only begotten son to God's one and only son. And that is... Once again, them trying to help you, but it's silly when you have Exodus, verses like Exodus 4.22 where Jesus says, this whole nation, Israel, is my son. There's a lot of sons there. There's a lot of people there. He's not, Christ is not the one and only son. We are all sons of God according to his grace and mercy by the dispensation of grace. So, God's got way more than one son. Um, so, when was Jesus begotten? I'm going to say that's wrong. Where did I get a crazy idea like that from? Where I get most of my crazy ideas? I got it from Paul. You're in Acts. Turn over to Acts 13. Now, Paul is not preaching Bethlehem and shepherds keeping their watch at night, which they obviously wouldn't do outside in December, uh, but they would do it in the fall. He's preaching Christ's resurrection, is what Paul's preaching here. Which, naturally, if your gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you would be out preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in verse 29, here's our timeline. 13.29, And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree, and they laid him in a sepulcher. He's dead. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. Look at verse 33. God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children in that he had raised up Jesus again. So, we're not talking about the Bethlehem. We're talking about the empty tomb and the stone rolled away. We're talking about the day Christ came walking out of there saying, yeah, all that stuff I said, it was true because look at me. I'm alive. I'm walking around. I've Raised myself from the dead. That's what Paul's talking about. and it's, He gives us an address. It's in the second psalm. So, thanks, Paul. Not hard to find. But uh, he says, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Christ was begotten at his resurrection. You know what that means? That means Jesus is prophesying in John 3 when he says, I'm the only begotten son of God. He's pointing to the day he walks out of the tomb to Nicodemus. Um, but yeah, he was not begotten that day. I don't have much Bible for the day he was born, but the fact that there's no supernatural activity recorded with Mary's womb, i got to believe it was a pretty normal childbirth. Woman goes into labor, water breaks, baby comes out. Everybody cries and smiles. and There's nothing really remarkable about the day, the way he was born, other than it was God in a human body coming out. But when he says, the day I'm begotten is the day I resurrect from the dead, what in the world is he talking about? By the way, he walked out of the tomb 72 hours after he went in. Just like he said. Three days, three nights, just like Jonah. Think about that the next time you celebrate Good Friday. Friday, 72 hours. Sunday morning. <clears throat> Funny math. Jesus was crucified on Wednesday. There were two Sabbaths that week. There was the high Sabbath of Passover, and there was the normal Passover on Saturday. Or normal Sabbath on Saturday. Crucified Wednesday, 72 hours. Out uh, Saturday. I'd have to do the timeline again, but Saturday evening. It came out when it was still dark. Anyways. So he says, the day after I resurrect, after I committed zero sins on this planet, I lived a perfect life, they killed me for it, this day, the day you come out, is the day I've begotten you. He was begotten the day he proved who he was. He proved, there's no way I can be that, because I can only be that, because I did that. How about that? That's the day he was begotten. When the day he died, resurrected never to die again. Lazarus got raised up. He died again. I walked out resurrected. I'm never going to die again. I'm going to live forever. You get some... uh, I'm surprised I didn't put this verse in here. You find it here. Yeah, Colossians 1, talking about Christ in verse 17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. means he's God. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And that in all things he might have the preeminence. He's the first one to die, resurrect, never to die again, God's only begotten son. And we can be placed in him as a result of our faith in what he did. You've all noticed, probably, I've skipped a verse. Now, if you know more than two verses, everybody thinks you went to seminary. Everybody knows that one about judging not, because they just want you to shut up. And there's something in there about judging me not. And they know the one that the guy, they don't do this anymore as far as I can tell, but I remember watching ABC, Wild World of Sports, and every time you see a great touchdown play in the end zone, there's a guy standing there with a sign, John 3.16. Or they took their shirt off and they painted it on their chest, John 3.16. I always saw that. That's the other verse that everybody knows. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Begotten son. He gave his only son who's going to die and resurrect, never to die again. That's a prophecy there. Everybody thinks John 3.16 is past tense, but it's fair. I, I hope I've done a good enough job showing that Jesus is not telling anyone, trust in my upcoming brutal murder by the Romans as a complete payment for your sins. Jesus is not telling anybody that. Um, but the prophesied Messiah, Jesus, is telling them this covenant people Israel You need to believe that I am the one. I am the prophesied one. You need to look to me and live. Because, you know, I'm the king. And they need, as we saw last time, Wow. (laughs) They need to believe in his name, that this Jesus of Nazareth, this is the guy, and then they get to be born again. And we saw what born-again people do. Then they start acting like born-again people and doing born-again things and doing truth and doing good things and keeping the covenant. And they'll do nothing but good because they're walking in God's statutes and they're just keeping them and doing them like Ezekiel 36 said. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Now, we got that from reading our Bible. (laughs) That does not stop anyone from coming back. And I know this is a warm, fuzzy verse for a lot of people. And I hate to be the guy standing here with the bucket of cold water and saying, Jesus wasn't talking, preaching the cross here to Nicodemus. I'm the guy with the cold water. Obviously, we know from hindsight, having the revelation of the mystery given to Paul, what was coming up, but everybody's going to read Paul back into this. And you shouldn't do it. And people get frustrated with me, and it's come on, Steve, you know, you're splitting hairs. Why do you spend so much time on this? Paul, Paul, ministry prophecy, blah blah blah. Why? Here's why. Souls are on the line. I was talking about the difference between hey, you do truth and you do good and you come to me and you get to live versus trust what I did. Look at John. We're in John 3, turn over a page. John 5. Two pages in my Bible. This is Jesus speaking. And he's talking about the resurrection. And he says, I've got the authority to execute judgment in verse 27. That's the look and live. Look to the judge to live. Look to the thing that's bringing wrath. But look at verse 28. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and they shall come forth. They that have trusted his payment for their sins that's not what he says they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation that's exactly the opposite of the gospel he delivered to Paul Paul says your works mean nothing the only issue on the table is will you trust what Christ did for you Jesus says in his earthly ministry the do-gooders Get to resurrect to life. Paul says, once again, instructions from Christ. Romans 4, 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. That's the exact opposite of what Jesus says in John 5. Jesus in John 5 says, Do-gooders get to go to life. Jesus tells us through our Apostle Paul in Romans 4, you that stop trusting your works, just believe on Him, that faith gets you righteousness. That's why I split hairs. That's why I spend so much time talking about rightly dividing and understanding prophecy versus mystery and all that. Because, well, this is Jesus, and don't we know we're supposed to follow Jesus, and He says I should trust doing good deeds, and that's going to get me to heaven. Things are important. Souls are on the line. Finally, I was taught, I've taught other people to do this. Sadly, I've repeated it. John 3.16. What you need to understand, Jeff, when you read John 3.16, put your name there. For God so loved Jeff. That he gave his only begotten son. Hmm. I've done that. I've taught people to do that. I was wrong! Bob Newhart, the great psychologist. If you've done that, if you are doing that, stop it! Stop it! You're turning the verse upside down. The verse is talking about God. His love. God so loved His creation, this whole world. He created this world, stood back and says, It's all very good. You don't get four chapters into Genesis, and we're following the devil. Hooray! For God so loved His creation. This world. The verse is about God. God's love. And when we put our name, For God so loved Steve. How wonderful am I? God so loves me. Look how awesome I am. What a good boy am I. God so loved me that He died for me. The verse is supposed to be about God, and we've made it, I'm so wonderful. Jesus had to die for me because I'm so awesome He had to get me back. No. So stop it if you've done that. Stop it, please. (laughs) I am not the center of the universe. Neither of any of you. God will execute his plan for the earth. He will execute his plan for the heavens. His purposes will win the day, whether or not I choose to be on board or not. I can reject what he did. I can drop into hell, and he's still going to have his heavenly kingdom with his saints that magnify him. Nicodemus here, he could choose to reject God's earthly program, reject his Messiah, And he can drop right in hell too, and God will have his earthly kingdom one day. That's the point of the verse. For God so loved the world, he went to extraordinary lengths to redeem his creation. It's about God and how wonderful and awesome he is. Not about you and me. So, that's all I got tonight. That's enough.